Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the final chapter of Romantic Magic, Book One. I think it might be wise to begin with a short journey back through the season. Your loyal wizard Lapura and steadfast bard Wu started things off by finding a portal in the woods. We turned to the cards of the Oracle Artarium to determine where we would find the next one. Some kind of island on a body of water, we were told. Island hopping led us to a conversation with our good friend and mentor, the Wise One, on the banks of the Huron. He had more information for us, so we hightailed it to another river, the Rouge, which runs through the heart of his kingdom, a place we would later come to know as Farsity. When we arrived in his throne room, the Wise One showed signs of failing health. It was time for him to move on from his role as guardian of Farsity. But first, a message from the Oracle that we spent the next couple of chapters exploring through obsidian rain and the freight train nature of Trailblazer Zerlevisa. Next, we welcomed you to our little shop and studio, Kreakata, and our newest divination tool, the mysterious, shiny, and oh-so-magical QG Caster. We both finally introduced ourselves, as well as the musical splendor that ends our show, the epic Zumgrata as composed by the wizard and powered by the spirits and instruments from Somasynths. The autumn equinox brought us a meditation on the elements and a visit to Rutka, the great collector of Artarium. And the harvest moon led us here, to the doorstep of season two, and big dreams on the horizon for romantic magic. I'm not at all surprised to say that the first season of this show mirrors well the nature of my partnership with the wizard. It is never boring. And trying to guess at what's on the horizon is folly. You won't even come close to how amazing it will turn out to be. So just enjoy the ride. When we started out, I asked the wizard if we could keep it all loose. Let the actual events of each week shape the chapter. That meant a lot of rushing come week's end. But even when we planned ahead, there seemed to be a greater force at work, keeping the script open until the real story came through. But next season we're going to do our best to keep a schedule, and actually start promoting this show. See if we can't drum up a few more like-minded adventurers looking to explore Artarium with us. Be they projectionists, fellow wizards, artists, writers, sound nerds, divinatory readers, or lovers of the occult. Artarium has something for everyone. Or so we've pieced together. Because you see, Artarium is not a place easily reached. Much like Tartaria and Atlantis, we know very little of Artarium. We have found bits and pieces in our travels and adventures. Stories, art, trinkets, and knickknacks. Enchanted pieces of furniture, life-shaping decks of cards, and little signs of the absolutely lovable, enchanting characters present there. It was in Chapter 6 that the wizard and I, with the help of QG Caster, were finally able to put a name to the first of Artarium's many kingdoms, Farsity, home of the Wise One, his bold guard Ivan, and a wonderful supporting cast. This beautiful spot was one of the first places the wizard and I investigated as part of romantic magic. The Wise One urged us to find ways to weave the folklore of the place into our art and writing to share stories from the woods and waters so that their tales could be experienced. 
and perhaps shared and broadened by others. Perhaps they too could visit Farsity and connect with him, or as it would turn out, his successor, for that is why he called us to his throne room. Over the course of the first book, we explored almost every inch of Farsity, looking for clues as to what would come next. We walked the paths, bowed our heads to the silent souls we encountered, raised them again to see the guards swooping overhead. We retraced our journey through the city within the Oracle Artarium, matching the energy of the landscape with that of the cards and ourselves. There were so many harmonies at play. And I gathered eight new stories from around Farsity, new dominant energies that would be represented as we moved ahead. But there was one more key step in the process, if you would be so kind as to indulge us for a few moments. One of the most important aspects of romantic magic is establishing an anchor. We can't very well float about in the ether untethered, after all. We've discussed before that if one of us ends up going through a portal on our adventures, the other is to immediately drive a railroad spike into the earth with the traveler's magical name written on it, so he or she will always have an anchor on this plane. It sounds dramatic, but we're dealing in portals here. These are the kinds of plans worth making on a Monday night. And so we walked the perimeter of Farsity, creating anchor points for ourselves at the extremes, an offering to the earth in the north, clothed in green, white for air in the east, red for fire in the south, and blue for water in the west. We began on the easterly serpent's loop. Here the river exits Farsity, on its way to other magical lands to the southeast. As we left our offering to Slifa here, we talked of the scrying woods recently harvested for wand making, the many signs of serpentine, and the way the river ran jagged through this magical loop. We moved west and south to the Overlook, the place where we had discovered the magical direction of 333, and watched the future of our romantic adventures unfold before us. The blazing afternoon sun lit up the stage as we made our offering of fire to Bethos. Traveling west around the moon meadow, we felt a sense of deep protection, like a wall of black stone surrounding us on our journey. We were as far from the city gates as one could venture safely and without penalty. The wizard had just mentioned stopping to make our offering to Lorca when we stepped across the bridge and into the stronghold of the marsh goddess Mira, a perfect spot to honor water. We left our gift before heading off on the hidden path to Mira's tower, where we were greeted by her ladies in violet and sky blue. We settled ourselves high above the marsh and felt the sun warm the wooden platform beneath us. The air sounded different here, mostly birdsong and trilling insects, blanketing the thrum of traffic. We could hear the breeze blowing in the distance, but it took one, two, three Mississippi for it to reach the tower. Its geomancy alluded to a crossroads, no doubt for the strong water and earth energies inherent in Mira's Marsh, not far from a gathering place. Marked by the jubilant Fortuna Major and Ignelio, the tower is a showplace of gold and jewels for the Marsh Goddess a breathtaking stopover on our journey, 
Back on the path, we move northeast toward the cathedral, the gathering place alluded to by Mira, and the northernmost point in Farsity. Here the citizens of Farsity connect with the energies beyond. Here too do people have the best chance of reaching Farsity. The quiet presence of Requimens cuts through the din of the traffic here. The High Priestess makes her way in, spreading her great veil over the benches. The divine and the commonplace find their conduit here. Fantasy and reality, all coming together inside this beautiful little grove. But our gift to the earth and Olenvat would need to be anchored still farther north, past the Agate Path. We slipped silently between the trees to reach the Wise One, stooped and silvery in the hushed shadows of his throne room. The wizard kneeled before his wizened frame. Our magic is now anchored here, he whispered, committing the last of the four offerings to the earth. We vow to protect this place and continue to share its stories and lore with the world. As we made our way back down toward the city center, the wizard seemed to be deep in thought. We have the four corners anchored, he finally said aloud looking out into the trees with a soft gaze. But we still don't have anyone to watch over Farsity when the Wise One leaves. He paused for a moment, turning a stick he'd plucked from the ground in his hands. What about... the totems? The wizard and I have built our process for connecting with the energy of the land in layers. We began with readings from the Oracle Artarium, Tarot, and Geomancy. From there, we developed our armor sessions, working together to visualize and build an entity based on our readings and the wizard's experiments. From that entity would spring forth stories, rituals, and artwork, including physical totems. We have completed many readings and a solid handful of armor sessions. Some of the resulting stories have been turned into zines we've published and sold. Now it's time for the wizard to begin tackling his totems. Physical representations of the magic we've collected, created, and experienced. In this case, representing the new guardian of Farsity. We'd reached the city center, a spot where multiple wooden roads crisscross with watery ones, where we would ford the Rouge on our way back to the gates. Here the trail of collaboration met with that of passionate pursuit. Bowman's woods lay to the southeast, and the sun forest to the southwest. And not far away we could hear peals of laughter and jubilation emanating from the cathedral. This is the spot, the wizard said, stopping suddenly on the bridge. We'll place the totem here, at the heart of the city, a fifth anchor point connecting the others creating a net of magic over all of Farsity. I nodded, pulling my notebook from my pack and flipping to the most recent readings. We've definitely got enough here for an armor session, I said, running my finger down the page. Let's see if we can get a look at Farsity's new caretaker. We arranged the circle of stones in the shallows of the riverbed. One of those rich, earthy spots revealed only in dry seasons, dotted with buried treasure. The rouge snaked its way around the spot, 
and splash on the toes of our boots as we mounted the earth and fanned the flames to light. I settled in the shadows with my notebook. The wizard pulled one of his magical machines from his waist belt and began twisting knobs, searching for the sound of the place. The tone emitted by the machine fought the din, then slowly wavered against it like a playmate, before finally settling into place as one sound. We added our own voices to the hum, meeting the pitch of the heart of Farsity. Out of the dark waters of the Rouge, the being began to rise. The silt of the shallows scooped out, and the vines pulled from the shaded embankments to form a skin for the being, akin to living earth. It was difficult to discern whether what formed up before us was man or beast, but it stood stiff and rigid on the riverbed, creating a long blade of shadow away down the rouge. It bent and reached into the water pulling from the depths what appeared to be a length of black rope. A shaft of sunlight hit the rope like a spotlight, revealing a pattern of wavery, shimmering scales. The waters of the rouge itself transformed into a long, dark serpent. The slender rope of black water glided up from the river's surface and through the being's right hand, high enough to form the shape of a staff before looping behind the entity to form a sort of sigil in the air. The hum intensified, but remained warm and soft. This sigil was one of loving protection. This being was indeed the guardian who would fill the void left by the wise one. The serpent continued its journey behind the guardian's back and between the thumb and forefinger of his left hand, forming a wand. A quick jog backward, and the serpent's head, now fully formed, came to rest atop the guardians, a living crown for the new sage of Farsity. A moment later, a fiery explosion burst forth suddenly from the guardian's chest. I quickly covered my ears, but the wizard was used to the noise. As the smoke cleared, we saw that flames remained on the guardian's face, almost like a beard. What had once been a rigid slab of greenery and earth was now covered in layers of glossy feathers spreading out on either side. Just below the beard of flame was a new piece of jewelry as well, an amulet still glowing red hot from the explosion. As the heat subsided, it revealed itself as half pink, half black, a bit like rhodonite, but any more we could learn of it remained hidden in shadow. The Guardian's three-piece snake suit remained intact and unscathed, perhaps even larger and more imposing after the blast. Feathers, snakes, river water, and a beard of fire. All four elements represented by the one who would watch over this place and connect us to it. The wizard scratched symbols into a worn sketchbook and handed it to me. I smiled in the gloom, glancing up at the guardian and back down at the page. Our first totem was going to be beautiful. We bowed our heads to our new friend. 
during our hiatus between seasons one and two, we will share our work on the wizard's totem. Check the notes to follow along with its construction, and perhaps even have a hand in it yourself. We will reveal the totem under this month's full moon on October 28th, and return with new adventures here beginning in November. This finale Zumgrata was founded on the tone of Farsity, and built using the wizard's romantic sound machines, drawing in all the elements and the power of our new guardian to close out book one of Romantic Magic. We hope you enjoy, and we'll catch you on the flip side, adventurers. <laughs>